Hello and welcome. This is the Filmmakers Podcast. It's a podcast where we help you to make your feature films. This is what we set out to do and this is what we've been doing all the way from the ground up, how you can make your feature film uh, with tips and tricks along the way. Speaking of which, the webinar, the first ever Filmmakers Podcast presents webinar all about how you can do that which is this Wednesday coming up literally tomorrow uh, the 13th 6.30pm UK time wherever you are in the world you can come and join us there'll be a Q&A afterwards but basically the webinar will be all about how you can do it we're going into detail giving you tips and tricks and secrets so if you want to join us do link is in the show notes click it I'll be talking about how you can find a project, work with writers, uh, how you can start that whole process from screenwriting all the way through to treatments and scriptments, etc., etc., and how you can find producers uh, and directors if you're not one yourself, and preparing for the shoot itself and what you should do as a director on set, and then all the way through into post-production, etc., all the way to selling the film. It's going to be a really interesting webinar for those of you who want to make your films um, more in-depth than the podcast goes. Uh, I'll be really going there. And myself and Sean Langton will be hosting it, and he's the producer of Cruel Summer. So yeah, do come along, click the link. It's the webinar. It's the first ever one this Wednesday. It's your last chance to get the tickets to the first ever webinar. Like I say, wherever you are around the world, you can join us. That's the beauty of it. So there you go. I hope you can. Look forward to seeing those who are already signed up. Um, thank you very much. And I look forward to seeing you there. Link is in the show notes. For those that don't know, I'm Giles Alderson. I'm a director and producer and screenwriter. Uh, I made the Dare feature film for Millennium Films, a studio movie. I made World of Darkness, which is a documentary which is out now. Um, I'm the producer of A Serial Killer's Guide to Life and Cassettes. And at the moment, I'm filming Food for Thought with Dan Richardson, also a co-host. That's our documentary. And our crowdfunder is starting in pretty much just over two weeks' time. So whatever support you can give us there, retweet, whatever it is, a love, a like, any donations, if you can, we would be delighted. So I'll let you know about that even more so in a couple of weeks time. And I'm about to go and shoot Knights of the Round Table. It's a King Arthur project feature film. Uh, I'm in prep for it now and we are casting. It's exciting. Okay, today's podcast is with director Brian Barnes. And he tells you how you can make a no-budget feature film and get it to the top of the Amazon Thriller charts and stay there for six weeks. Six whole weeks! That's right, so that's what this podcast is about today. Before we get there, let's give indie film shout-outs to some amazing people who've supported us this week. Uh, Andy Simpson, he sent me an email. We met on a, a feature film years ago. The film, I think, did get released. We are both acting in it at the time. Andy has gone on to make a feature film uh, uh, a few years ago now. And, um, yeah, he he has been inspired by listening to the podcast. And he wrote to me and said as much. Um, And now he's he's back on the road again trying to make his next feature film. Andy, I love that. Thank you so much for sending me an email and inspiring me as well to keep going. So glad that you are now on the road to, to making another feature film brilliant uh, all the best to you i'll give you whatever support i can i'm um, also shout outs to um 
Bonnie Lynn, you've been amazing this week. Thank you. So many lovely retweets. Radio Misfits and Magus Marketing. Brilliant. Thank you. And a big shout out to uh, Fraser Cool, who has his Kickstarter going right at the moment called Cops and Monsters. Uh, the first episode that they raise money for is now on Amazon Prime and they're looking for money for the next one. Go have a look. It's pretty epic and pretty ace. Uh, click the link, watch what he's done so far. And if you like it, go support him and give him a give him a little donation if you can. And if nothing else, just give him a nice retweet and a follow. Um, all is appreciated. So there you go. Good luck, Fraser. All the best with you. And a final shout out goes to the Creative Alliance podcast. I met them at the Make Your Film event. The girls there, they were lovely. And they have a really cool podcast. Um, so shout out to you and good luck. And I look forward to collaborating in the future. Okay, who wants some Raindance discount? This is really cool what Raindance have got for you or got for filmmakers at the moment and it's coming up real soon. Um, Have you ever considered how comic book or graphic novels can help screenwriters? Do you think your novel or film screenplay could be adapted into a graphic novel? say this course is presented by the number one new york times best-selling list uh comic book and graphic novel writer and screenwriter tony lee did doctor who superboy spider-man x-men battlestar galactica and it's rain dance's introduction to comic book and graphic novel script writing and it takes you through all the steps to turn your idea into a comic book you want to do that because who the hell doesn't um you can get a discount Yes, you can. That is correct. You can get 30% off. An exclusive discount code is RDPODCAST20. Link is in the show notes. The date for that is Saturday, the 18th of May. There you go. Thanks, Raindance. Okay, let's now get to today's brilliant episode. I say so myself. That's silly. To today's episode. You decide if it's brilliant or not. I have no idea. Um, I like it because Brian gives you so much information about how to make a no-budget feature and get it to the top of the charts for six weeks. So there you go. Uh, Enjoy. um, And I hope I see some of you at the webinar on Wednesday. All right. Enjoy. It's my absolute delight to welcome to the Filmmakers Podcast, Brian Barnes. Hello, mate. Hello, hello. Good to be here. How are you? I'm fine, thanks very much. Well, we met kind of years ago, didn't we? We, Yeah. Which which event was it? I was actually trying to wreck my brains. It it was probably a Chris Jones event, I'm guessing. Probably the London Screenwriters Festival, something like that. Um, But we've been sort of like orbiting each other, but never quite connecting for years, haven't we? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And we just got talking about films, and at the time we hadn't, either of us hadn't made a feature film. That's absolutely right, yeah. Since then, we since, have. Yeah. Since then, we've both sort of like gone through that door. Yeah. yeah, and that just makes such a difference, it, doesn't it? It does. You, you, you kind of emerge the other side a completely different person, definitely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. You've also directed 25 short films. 26. 26 now. Yeah, yeah. I need to update you, Evan. <laughs> oh, <sorry>. <laughs> <laughs> Including the five times award-winning The Urge, which yeah. won Best Screenplay, yeah. uh, and the Best Film Prize, and that was with Gillian... Um, McGregor as well starred in that. She's, Absolutely, she's worked in quite a few of your films as an actress. She has, yeah. yeah she's yeah. been on the podcast. Um, indeed, she has. Yeah, yeah. There you go. She was talking about the stolen yes, film she made yeah. as well. Fascinating. Um, you've made many corporate films and live television shows, and he um, is known as the man that gave Christopher Nolan his first job. 
There you go. Uh, and he's co-directed two feature films and his debut feature film, The Redeeming, which was released on VOD last year and topped the charts as the number one thriller for six weeks. Welcome to the Filmmakers Podcast, Brian Barnes. Yes. Hey. Whoop, whoop. Um, um, my co-host today <laughs> is wonderful cinematographer Andrew Roger. Hello, mate. Hello, mate. How you doing? Very good. Very good. You've, um, you've DOP'd quite a few things now. Uh, well, this week or just generally? Just generally. I yeah, think I've this week probably two. pushing it. Well, I did a couple this week too. Don't want to. <laughs> and, and, and it sounds like your claim to fame is that you've got two first names, Andrew Roger. Yeah, which are always spelt wrong. Oh, right. Regardless of course, Andrew. People spell Andrew wrong. Well, uh, yeah, mm, usually the second one, right? Or they put Andy down, like on credits and stuff. Oh, well, I do that. Yeah, I and mean, you're allowed to, Charles. Thank you're, you. We're friends. This I know you as Andy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Andrew, if you don't know, I called you Andrew then. It did. I never it was weird. Andrew, Andrew, I didn't it. like it. Yeah. Um, Andy, uh, DOP, my the dare, and also my world of dark. <laughs> and Did they changed the name of them. Yeah, yeah, they put My, my World of, of Darkness. My World of Darkness. My The World of Darkness. That's quite a good title. It's better, isn't it? They mm. should have thought about that. I was on uh, Amazon ago. last night and I was going through the dares on there and then obviously, not the dare. The dare's not on there yet. I put it on there. Did you yeah. naughty bastard. Yeah. Uh, World of Darkness is on there. <laughs> yeah. And the Coles film. Uh, to Dream to is dream on, there, on there. That you dopeded. Yeah. Yeah. Dopeded. And uh, what the My World of Darkness as well. There you go. Yeah. Going to be the dare soon. Going to be the dare soon. The trailer yeah. is ready. They're in Berlin right now with it, selling it with the posters. Some that uh, Johnny Grant's mate designed, which is great. Oh, they use that one. Yeah. Nice. Well, How do I get one? How do I get one? Well, I can just, I just print, print it off, one off, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you want them nice printed off. I mean, I really want one on the wall here. We're in my loft at the moment. Wouldn't it be great if we had my posters? But is it a little bit wanky yeah, having your own posters wanky. on your own yeah, wall? Yeah. <laughs> But no one comes here anyway, so it's that's right. very true. It's fine. So it'd just be for me to go. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, uh, I've got yours. I've got I've got my redeeming poster on my wall at home, and of yeah. course, I'm the only one that ever sees it because nobody ever comes over. So, oh, okay. so I think that's okay. That's, that's fine, fair then. game. It is. It? No one's going to know. No, is it yeah. inspiring for you when you see it? Then? Absolutely, especially because yeah. my poster has some of the critic quotes on it, and Ooh. that always sort of like gives me a smile every morning. You know, yeah. I mean, like especially is what the top quotes, the is, independent one, right? Uh, no, not the independent critic. No, no, the um, the movie critic next door. She says psychological thriller at its best. And I wow. Think, okay, well that's fine. I'll live with that. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And did you shoot in your own house as well? No, no, no. Okay, we good, fine. Because then it would have been like best psychological thriller from the girl next door, and she could actually live next door to the house yeah. where it was filmed. Yeah. Yeah, that could work. But it didn't. But it didn't work right. out that way. No. It's a good bit, though. I enjoyed that. Uh, thank you. Well, thank you. I really thought about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put it in a rom-com sometime. Sometime. Yeah. Sometime. <laughs> sometime. <laughs> right, the jacket's coming take off Take a little break while I take my very noisy jacket off. <laughs> Suddenly got really warm, right? Never, yeah. I'm going to take... You can turn that down if you want, the heater. This is my loft come office. I'm going to have to take my, my jumper off now. Well, I'll definitely turn the heater off. <laughs> so, Brian, while we're doing this wonderful interlude, <laughs> tell us... Um, Tell us how you actually got started in the in making films in the first place. You were an actor, right? Jumping back. I mean, we're jumping well, back. Why I mean, make films? Why make films? I, yeah. I remember you, you've asked this question a lot in your podcast. And so I was reflecting on this um, <laughs> on, on my way up here. And, and I think the number one reason why I wanted to make films was because as a very young child, I realized how powerful cinema could be. I mean, like yeah. the very first film my mother took me to see at the cinema was Bambi. Now, if anybody's seen wow. Bambi, they know how devastating that film can be. It's full on. 
It is. I mean, like it's it's what, like watching a serial killer thriller or something. It is that powerful, mm. and and it absolutely destroyed me as a, like a four year old in the cinema. Mm. And and reflecting on that in later years, I realized cinema is power, you know. And I thought I want to have a slice of that power. I want to have that that ability to manipulate people's emotions and that's why i wanted to be a filmmaker i like that then how did you move from that to actually wanting to to make films how did you actually go oh, this is something i want to be involved in well i i didn't know how to get into filmmaking but but i mean i, I think one of the important things to know about me is that i come from hong kong i, I was born and grew up in hong kong wow okay and when my parents um, moved the family back to the UK, um, we originally moved back to Canterbury and we lived in, the, lived in Canterbury for a year and then we lived in Guildford for a year. And neither Canterbury nor Guildford felt like Hong Kong to me. It, I, well, yeah, it's very yeah, different. It, yeah. It's very different. And, um, <laughs> and so I was looking for somewhere that felt more like home, like Hong Kong. And it was the first time I came to London, I realized actually London's pretty similar to Hong Kong. So maybe London should be my home. Mm. And so I moved to London and then I realized that London is where the films get made. So maybe while I'm here in London, I could get into filmmaking. Right. And, you know, so, so the plan started to formulate like that. And then I was very lucky to um, become a student at UCL, University mm. College London. Yeah. And they had a filmmaking club. And so I went down there and I joined them and, and I got to make films there. What straight? I mean, was that a kind of thing you just picked up a camera or did you have to work in teams? What was well, the process? I mean, I think it, UCL, the UCL Film Club is, is it's, it's utterly unique, I'm, I'm sure. I mean, literally, you can walk through the door and you can just say, I've got an idea for a film. And they say, fine, here's a camera, go make it. I mean, it's literally that simple. Really? Yeah. This is the first time I've heard that from the amount of people that have been on the podcast and said they've been to any kind of film school. Most of them say they don't even get a camera in their hands. Here, you could just walk into a cupboard and pick up the latest. But this this is not a film school. This is a film club. So this is basically, this is basically, it's a bunch of usually physics students just hanging out with kit and then they're looking for ideas. The the thing they haven't got is ideas. They've got the kit, but they Mm. haven't got the ideas. Right. So literally anybody who walks through the door and says, I've got an idea, they just say, fine, you are God, go and do it. Because because nobody else has any ideas. And so... So I walked through the door and said, I, yeah, I want to make this uh, documentary. Um, and I, I just made this documentary about the refurbishment of a theatre because I just walked past this theatre and saw it being refurbished. And I thought, well, it'd be nice to make a little film about that. Yeah. You know? So I just made this documentary about it and it turned out really well. And then off the back of that, I made a, a pop promo. And then off the back of that, I made a short drama film about an artist and, and her model. Um, and then on those, on the basis of those three films, I was then able to get into film school, and I got to to the RCA, to the Royal College of Art, wow. which, which is where I, I did my film school. And then you didn't pick up a camera at all. <laughs> there. Um, no, not really. There you go. Says it all. <laughs> that's hilarious. Was yeah, that... it's important to go and pick up a camera and shoot. Right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think you you learn more from that. I mean, did you? When yeah, you... I, I mean, I I started off. I probably told this a thousand times but i was a painter and then i picked up a, a stills camera and was like oh well, this is quicker i can make images faster this way it's more efficient <laughs> much quicker and then it turns out moving images the same thing and then so yeah um but that was just by just picking up a thing and doing it mm-hmm. so do you do you think that that approach has meant that you make films in that way still now or do you think it's i i think i was reflecting on this again on the way up here because 
I think the thing that I really learned in Spades at UCL was was how to make films with no money. That was the thing mm. that I really learned because that was the only option we had, you know. And and so I kind of have taken that forward into all of my films since then. I've I've very much every film I've ever made has been a resource based film. It's basically I've made my Rodriguez list. You know mm-hmm. what have I got? Yep. What story can I tell with the things I've got? And I've made my films that way. And and pretty much every single film I've ever made has been like that. So so in a sense that was that was your film score, and you learnt that's the best way to make films. Whereas if you'd potentially waited, you, you might never have made a feature film because you're going, well, I need this much budget or I need this brilliant camera dolly or, you know what I mean? Whereas you went, sod it, I know how to make films this way and I'm going to go shoot something this way. Well, exactly. I, mean, I, think, mm. I think a lot of people grow up with this idea that the magic producing fairy is sometimes going to come along and pick you up and yeah. say, hey, come and make a film with me kind of thing. And of course, it never happens. So you've got to find a way to make a film somehow, anyhow, haven't you? Yeah. And, and, you know, that discipline of, of drawing out that list of this is what I have you know, using these things, what story could I tell? I think that's a, a wonderful discipline and, and it, it makes you very productive, I think. You mm. know, I mean, uh, th- that's how I've made 26 short films, you know, I yeah. mean, it, because you just use what you have. Yes. Now, oh, good for you. And, and while you were making those 26 short films, was that when Christopher Nolan was involved? Or was that part of your corporate? Because you made millions of corporates as well. I say millions. You made lots of corporates. You made lots of that promo style work, which is brilliant as a director to learn and make money while trying to make your features. Was he involved in the shorts as well? Um, I didn't... I, Chris and I didn't work together on on shorts. I'm, well, I mean, I helped Chris out on a couple of his shorts. I helped him out on a couple, on his first two features. The following as well, for sure, right? Yeah, you worked... I, I worked on, on the following, but in a tiny, tiny capacity. I mean, literally, really, really small. I mean, I worked on Doodlebug, but mm-hmm. again, really, really small capacity. And... Um, I mean, Chris and I, you know, we, we, we were kind of in each other's orbit for maybe two or three years maximum. Sure. One year of which he was actually working as my cameraman on my corporates. So mm. there are some corporates that Chris and I did together. But, oh, but, um, but it was very, very much at the early, early stages of his career that he and I were sort of working together. And, yeah. and I haven't seen him now since he was um, in pre-production on Batman Begins. So it's quite a few years now mm. since I've seen him. But, um, um, but yeah, we, we worked together a, a little bit. Um, and we used to talk about filmmaking a lot, you know. And we had very, very different views on filmmaking, which was fascinating. And we used to have very heated arguments, actually, about aesthetics and philosophy and all this kind of stuff. You wow. Know? Okay. Um, did you have the same what was your opinions on it was was there anything that now springs to mind that it's it's difficult to put my finger on it but but we definitely did not see eye to eye i mean we were we were definitely coming at it from different viewpoints yeah. i think going back to to what i was saying earlier about um bambi yeah the thing that really struck me about bambi was the emotional heft of that film you know it really you know, you could really feel the emotional impact of that film. Whereas Chris was always much more about the cerebrality. You know, he wanted something that engaged your mind rather than your heart. Whereas mm-hmm. I want something that engages my heart rather than my mind, you know. So so Chris and I were always at loggerheads about that. And, uh, you know, he was much more into the, like, the intellectual puzzle of, of filmmaking, whereas I was much more into the emotional journey of filmmaking, mm. you know. 
That's fascinating. I like to think that you taught him everything he knows. <laughs> and that <laughs> he thinks good. the same. Yeah, Chris does. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So let's talk about the because you co-directed as well as you've directed your feature, The Redeeming, as well. Which came first? I wasn't sure. Well, so the 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 two feature projects I was involved in before The Redeeming, I I, I kind of described myself as a co-director on those, but but technically they were actually anthology features. So they're basically collections of little short stories. I see. Yeah. So I was I was the only director on the short story that part of of each of those films. So I'm credited as a co-director on the full film, I but see. but I I only did one little se- sequence in effect. I know what you mean. So there was we did we've done two of those. There was one um which is called Love Cracked the Movie, mm-hmm. which I think has been renamed The Horror of H.P. Lovecraft. Um, and that was an anthology horror film um, that got a DVD release in the USA. Um, didn't do great, but at least it went out. Yeah. Um, yeah and sure. then the other one I did was um, an anthology feature about the 7-7 London bombings okay. you know, you know yeah, yeah. in 2005. And we shot that in probably 2007, something like that. And I remember at the time we were making it, you remember, you remember when the seven seven bombings happened? Yep. They happened the day after it was announced that London was going to be the host of the twenty twelve Olympics. That's right. right? Yep. So the joke on set when we were shooting this feature was, "Oh, the film won't come out until after the Olympics." Well, unfortunately, that joke has come true because the film okay. still hasn't been completed and it hasn't been released. So. So and what are the reasons for that? How come that hasn't been released? To be honest, I think the producer lost faith in the project. Okay. Um, uh, I really don't know, but I mean, like they ran out of money and, and he realized that it hadn't turned out the way he wanted. So I think he just abandoned the project. Is it worth you taking over that and sort of going, let's at least get some sort of release or how are you feeling about well, it? Well, I now? don't know. You know, I mean, for years I looked at the, piece that i did for that film and i thought that is my best ever work and i can't show it to anybody Mm. and it really frustrated me yeah um but now that i've made my solo feature film i think well it's irrelevant now because my solo feature film is my best ever work i don't need to show this other thing so Mm. i'm I'm happy now great well let's talk about that let's talk about the redeeming um which is where did i put it Let's just talk. <laughs> Might not have printed or it's on the other page. So the redeeming. Tell us about how this came about and why you said. I mean, as we all, as when we met, we were desperate to make feature films and doing everything we could to do that. What was the journey with the redeeming then, as to say, I'm just going to go shoot this on my own with it's pretty much micro budget, if not less. Yeah. Talk us through that. Talk us through how it came about. Okay. Well, I think. Um... You and I both know the sort of Chris Jones events, the London Screenwriters Festival. Mm. And I think one of the hallmarks of those kind of events is that when you're talking to people there, for every person you meet who's actually achieved something, you're meeting 10 people who want to achieve something. Yes. And so, yeah. so, so it's not exactly the most wonderful crowd to hang out in from that point of view. It can be quite depressing. Depressing, yeah. indeed. So anyway, so in 2013... I got onto a scheme called Screen Yorkshire Triangle. Yes, yes, I've heard of that. I remember that. Now, Screen Yorkshire Triangle, the networking there was 
stratospherically different from um, London Screenwriters Festival mm. because every single person in that room had achieved great things. Every single person, without fail, without exception. And going to that event and meeting those people just energized me so much. I mean, like, I mean, we there, there were, what, 40 people in that room and at least half of them had been involved in some kind of feature project, mm -hmm. you know. I mean, it was, the, 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 achieve, the level of achievement was extraordinary in yeah. that room. And it just made me think, it is absolutely possible. I can make a feature because these guys have done it, you yeah. know. And so I literally, on the train on the way home from that, I thought, that's it, I'm making a feature. That's it, I've made my mind up. I am making a feature come hell or high water. By the end of this year, I'm going to be in pre-production on my feature film. Good for you. Yeah, love it. And um, so I just rang up my writer and I said, okay, this is the Rodriguez list. We've got this house. We've got these two actors. Mm -hmm. What can you come up with? And he said, okay, let me think about it. And four weeks later, I had a script in my hand. I mean, he, was, he, he just churned it out. It was amazing. Great. I mean, it was, it was just incredible how fast um, – he 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 managed to, to write the script, and it, I think he told me afterwards that the the reason he was so fast at writing it was because he could tell from the way I was asking him that I was absolutely intent that this was going to be made. This this wasn't just a pipe dream. This was going to happen. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. and so and so he really pulled out all the stops to get this script done. Right. Know? So now you've got your script. Now, how do you, are you thinking at that point, maybe you could raise a bit of money, maybe do a, a crowdfunding campaign, or were you always kind of like, no, I'm just going to find actors and shoot in a place where I can get? Well, I mean, we, we talked a moment ago about my short film, The Urge. So mm. when, when The Urge was doing its festival run and it was winning all these awards, yeah. um, people started coming up to me and saying, you know, we like your work. How can we help you? And at the time, I mean, this is like 2012, I was saying, oh, well, just give me money to make a feature film. And and I didn't have a feature project, and I was just saying, just give me some money to make a feature project. And and a few, <laughs> and we need a script for that. <laughs> and, and, well, a few people actually gave me some money. You know, I really, mean, yeah, without without asking for any project or anything, they just believed in me as a filmmaker. That's you amazing. Know? It, yeah, I mean, it wasn't a lot of money, but it was some money. You know, it was a non-zero amount was yeah. was handed over. Totally. You know, even if it's a five or something, <laughs> believes in you. <laughs> It's still great. Yeah, right? it was it was amazing. So so yeah. So the the urge wins five awards, gets four more no in nominations. People come up to me, say, "Well, what can we do to help?" And I said, "Just give me money to make a feature." So I had this little bit of money sitting there. I come back from this triangle scheme. I get on the phone to my writer, write me a script. He writes me a script. I've got this little bit of money mm. set aside, and I thought, okay. This script is simple enough that this small amount of money, we can actually get this thing shot. We can actually shoot it. And I designed the project that we shoot it as cheaply as possible so that once we've shot it and we've got a rough assembly, we can then look at the film and say, is it worth spending money on this to finish it off and deliver it? Because if not, then we just abandon it and we move on to the next project. Fine. You know, so, okay. so it was a low-risk venture from that point of view, mm. you know. And so, yeah, basically, I shot the film for the money that I had been given from from the back of the urge, basically. Wow. Um, Are you allowed to say how much that was? I'm not really allowed to say. Because the film's out now, and it's almost a little bit like... it Because it, it'd be fascinating for people to know. If All you right. say it was less than... Okay, well, look, okay, let me put it this way. Mm. We shot the film for the equivalent of two months' rent, basically. London rent or Barnsley rent? <laughs> <laughs> L London rent. 
Wow. Either way, that's still pretty impressive. Yeah. I mean, basically, okay. yeah, you could have shot the film for about two months' rent. Um, but wow. I mean, that's that's just to shoot it and get it in the can. Obviously, post-production is very expensive. It is. But also, uh, that's food. That's maybe putting people up. But that's hiring kit if you don't have it yeah, already. Yeah. Lights, all that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. Did you have all that kit already? Yeah, I mean, I, I basically, I used the cameraman from The Urge, okay. who comes with a lot of kit. And and he doesn't have top-level kit, but he has kit. Mm. And, you know, the joke is always, you know, what's the best camera to shoot on? The one you can get for free. And, um, you know, he had... And the, he's nodding. I'm nodding here. <laughs> and, and, and he had the free camera, you know. Yeah. So, and he was a, he's a very good friend of mine. You know, we get on so well. And, and you know, he'd made the urge with me and, and the urge had turned out beautifully, you know. Mm. So, so I said, come and do the feature. And, you know, when he read the script... Uh, like on page two, there's a there's a power cut and it's in candlelight, and he literally got to page two and he rang me up and says I'm doing this because he wanted to do the candlelight. You know, there you go. <laughs> it's funny how people look at things in a different way. Yeah, like DOPs look at it in a way, costume designers look at it in a certain way. They want to do it because it's yeah, a challenge, different things but... that will bring you in as, a, as an artist, aren't they? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Do you find that with scripts that when you get the Mandy, that sometimes you look at it and go, okay, I want to do this because it's set in a uh, the Welsh beach town and you want to shoot yeah. something along there. Yeah, sometimes you don't because it's set in a Welsh field <laughs> on a hillside <laughs> in winter. In winter, Beautiful yeah. in the summer. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, for sure. But usually, yeah, usually there is something that's that's like visually interesting that you think, oh yeah, well, I'd like to have a go at that or I've got, I can see how that would look. Mm. I yeah. think it's important in our scripts that we, when we're, whether we're writing it ourselves or we've got another writer with us, that it is, that people do pick it up crew-wise and go, I want to do that for that reason. Mm. Because some, they're not looking at it from an actor's point of view or yeah. a producer's point of view. They're looking at it from their point of view, which well, I think what? is really interesting. Oh, it's boring, Jos. What about you, Jos? <laughs> <laughs> when, when you get a script you haven't read before, yeah. what, what, what is it that... I'm looking at it from it? the directing point of view. Yeah, so of course, I'm, yeah. I'm looking at the visuals in terms of what comes off the page, how I could performance get a performance out of something or someone. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's the, that's interestingly the first thing I think of is what what could I do with this? So it's sometimes not necessarily story; it's more mm. um, the overall piece and what this could become, and also whether I've done it. I've slightly done this, you know. If it was another feature came to me that was set in a basement like the day, you go, well, yeah, I'm not sure unless mm. there was a shitload of money there. So, so money. First thing is money, Andy. You've got to the root of this, <laughs> Brian. You? Well, I mean, ob obviously, we're all filmmakers because we want to be millionaires, aren't yeah, we? I mean, obviously. I mean, money. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's the only reason we're doing it. Yeah, we're loaded. Yeah. You can tell by my wonderful yeah, yeah. Uh, office space here yeah. <laughs> in the loft. No, I mean, I mean, the first thing I always <laughs> say to people when I'm talking to them about a project is, you know, find a reason to be doing this other than money because money will be the last reason you mm. do this because you'll never make any money doing it. Um, I mean, like, you know, I've made a very good living making corporate videos and, and you know, that's one side of my career and one side of my life. But, you know, the, the, the drama films are, you know, the creative expression side of my career and my mm. life. And, and, you know, you never expect to make money out of those. Yeah, it's a passion. It's, something it's a passion, you, absolutely. Plus, it, it wonderfully feels nice to say you've directed a feature. Mm. When we'd go into all those courses and, that we were doing, even ones where I was going with Mind the Gap was like, after you've made a feature for the second one, I hadn't made one yet. Mm. And I really wanted to. It feels just, oh, okay, well, fine, I've made a feature. Before then, it does feel very, 
like there's this weight on you. Yes. So yeah. now even when you're doing the corporates or you're going for meetings or whatever adverts, you can say, oh, I've done a feature. It just puts you in a better stead. I don't know. I feel more confident. I don't yeah, know yeah, about you, you guys. You definitely feel more grown mm. up, definitely. Mm. Um, I think grown up's a good word. Yeah. We're all like pushing 40. And uh, I've pointed at Andy. And <laughs> but, yeah, if you feel more grown up. It's yeah, really strange, I feel, I, feel I mean, a bit, you know, but I, I actually, when I, I started making films, I made my very first film in 1987. And even, even then I was saying, I want to make a feature. Yeah. And I I didn't actually get on the set of my first feature until 2013. So it was like nearly 30 years later. Mm. So, you know, it took me a long time to get there, but um and I'm so glad I've done it, but uh mm. I think there are so many gears and cogs that have to align to allow you to make a feature that, that yes. it really is difficult. Uh, um Yeah, I totally agree. Um it, I feel like there's just there is millions of things that have to all happen at the same time just to make it work. It's yeah. really kind of luck. Yeah. It doesn't matter how great your project is or how great you're doing. You know, you hear about Neil Marshall's story and how the things he should have been doing and so, oh, they just all fell apart for one reason or another, mm. or that actor wasn't available till then. So then that fell apart and you, wow. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, you're lucky to make a feature. Just yeah. I'm over the moon by I mean, it. I mean, Chris Jones always has that saying that you know every feature is a miracle because yes. because it is just so hard to make them. Yeah, it is, um, and to get them out and get them released. Yeah. And yet you were at number one on the Amazon Thriller charts for six weeks. I know. We're going to get unbelievable. To unbelievable. <laughs> I mean. The Redeeming was shot under a crazily tight schedule. How many days? I mean, we shot for nine days, basically. Okay. Yes, tight. So, I mean, like, and we had, I mean, I think the page count we had to get to, I think we had to get eight or nine pages a day minimum. That was the minimum we had to hit. And there was one particularly complex scene um, that comes quite late in the film, but it was early in the schedule. And I wanted to have more time to shoot that. So on that day, we only shot six pages, which meant that the rest of the time we had to pick up that slack. Right. So, so there were days on the redeeming. There was there was a sequence of three days where we had to shoot eleven pages, twelve pages, and thirteen pages. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, which is bloody hard to achieve. Yep. And and I realised that one of the easiest ways to achieve that was to say to Matt, "You have the the con. You 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 control camera." I'm going to concentrate on the actors. I'm going to make sure their performances are there. And it won't matter then if the shots are slightly off from what I want because at least I've got the performances, mm. you know. Um, because 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 we're literally in the redeeming, you've got two people on the screen for 90% of the film. The performance was absolutely critical to the success of the film. Mm. And so I felt it was much more important to spend my time working with the actors than to worry about, you know, which lens should we put on the camera and all that kind of stuff. That's what I mean. And you did a brilliant job with the actors because they do do a great performance. They give a great performance. And that really shines. And I think that's maybe why it did so well, because people do forgive bad lighting or bad sound, but they won't really forgive a bad performance. Uh, I'm not saying that happened here. I'm saying that's what is the general gist. So the fact that we got great performances here really lift the film up generally, right? And if you've got a great script, you're in a good place. Yeah, I mean, uh, Tracy Ann Wood, who's the lead in, mm-hmm. in The Redeeming, I mean, she's a National Theatre actress. I mean, yeah. I've seen her tread the boards at the National, and, you know, she was electrifying on, on stage there. Yeah. Um, I first met Tracy um, at a casting for a commercial that I was directing, uh-huh. and um, 
I think she was like the second person who came in the room on the first day of casting. And yeah. I thought, my God, this is a magical actress. I have to work with her. Um, and when we were shooting the commercial, on the last last part of the shoot of the commercial, I pulled her to one side and I said, Tracy, we've been running a script for you. Do you wow. want to read it? And she said, yes. You know. Um, and so I sent it to her and, and, you know, she read it and 24 hours later she was on the phone saying, I want to do this. Amazing. You know? um, That's great. Uh, but we we wrote it for her because because she was just so good. Um, That's nice. That must have felt nice for her. But also, you knew what you were wanting from that performance. You knew what she could take it to. Yeah, you could specifically write it in a certain way. That's nice. Yeah, That's yeah. good. Um, how soon after you got the script and you got Tracy on board, did you say we are shooting this? Did you have your dates already in mind? Um, we. Let me see. So it was June when I said to Roger, "Can you write me the script?" It would have been mid-August when he gave me the script, um, and we would have been in pre-production certainly by October. Oh, okay. Um, so light's so, still quite good. Then I'm thinking about time-wise. Obviously, when it gets dark, how that channel? Yeah, Not your film but, is in the dark. Yeah, well. I mean, well, we were in pre-production in October, and then and we were going for a January shoot. So, and, and obviously in January the days are very short. Yeah, which is great for us because most of the films set at night. Exactly. So, um, so like, I mean, like the opening sequence. When uh, Ryan Witchett playing John knocks on the front door, mm -hmm. you know, that feels like it's the middle of the night. Yeah. It was shot at 4.30 in the afternoon, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. We did day for night a, a lot or hardly at all by the time you'd set the up? The big exteriors of the house, so that yeah. really big exterior of the house when you're looking at it from across the valley, that mm -hmm. was day for night. Right. Um, every, everything else at the front door was shot night for night, you right. know. Um, um, and, yeah, we literally... We had one light. We had a a, a 2K um, with a with a half blue gel on it, and that was our moonlight, and 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 that was it. That's what we had. You went and bit a candle. <laughs> Did you shoot through the night then? No, no. We blacked out the windows and we shot in the day. Oh so right, okay. In, in the wind, in in interiors, we're all shot during the day with blacked out windows, which is exactly what we did for the urge. The urge is is set all at night and we just shot during the day with blacked out windows mm. um, and it worked perfectly. I mean, I'm not much of a night owl. I really can't function much beyond 2 a.m. So I really try to avoid night shoots if I possibly can. Yeah. And, it's um, tough. It is tough. It's tough, um, yeah. You know, and so, so I designed the film so that, you know, we were indoors with blacked out windows for night as much as possible. And then there's, there's a sequence... Um, where Tracy Ann Wood as Joyce is looking out through the window, and obviously we had to unblack the windows for that. Of and we had to wait for the sunset in order to to get that because we needed it to be dark. Um, and literally, I'm like, you know, I said we were shooting really, really fast, and and um, you know, we only had nine days to shoot. But on our very, very last day of the shoot, we had to get this shot looking through the window at Tracy looking out. Sure. And we had to wait. We we literally had to sit around for an hour waiting for the sun to set before we could shoot that shot. And this is on a, that crazy tight schedule because we we were so fast and so ahead of ourselves mm. that we literally we literally tapping our feet and sort of like you know looking at our watch and waiting Thinking, for this. Should sun we crack open a beer now? <laughs> so we were waiting for the sun to set, and then we literally just had to get this one shot of her looking through the window, and then we just wrapped and went to the pub. You know? Amazing, amazing. <laughs> were you all staying in the same we, place? Yeah, we were, so you were staying. Yeah, there, the, right? the cast and crew all lived in the house together. And how many of you were there? It was a tiny, tiny crew. I mean, like there were 
you had the two main actors mm-hmm. and then uh, there was Matt on camera, then his assistant Alex, and then we had Graham on sound, and then we had Catherine uh, as a production assistant. So we had four crew, and then there was me. And then there were the two actors, so seven people in 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 the in the house. Right. Basically. So you're doing a lot of jobs then. Oh, I was doing everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Production managing. Yeah. I, I, I was doing everything. Continuity. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, there's a there's actually a there's a behind the scenes clip mm. on our website somewhere where you can see the crew all just sitting around waiting, <laughs> and and the and Catherine who's doing the behind the scenes camera says, "What are you all doing?" And they they all say, "Well, we're waiting for Brian." And they say, "Well, w- what's he doing?" And he says, "Oh, he's art directing." Because <laughs> <laughs> you have to. Because you have to. But yeah. what's amazing here is that. You went and made your film. Yeah. You didn't take no excuses and no prisoners. You just went, I don't care. I'm going to go shoot this film. And if it turns out all right, I'll release it. If not, it's an experiment, right? For yeah. nine days. Absolutely. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Okay. That's fascinating. Um, so from were you thinking about the edit as you were going? You were thinking about how you could... Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm an it. editor. I yes, am an editor. I, imagine, I mean, yeah. um, I, I mean, like you know, I've been making films since 1987, and I've pretty much been editing that whole time. Mm. So I always think like an editor, you know, and um, you know, I plan my floor plans with an editor's mind, really. So I knew it was going to cut. I had no problems about that. But actually, when we got it into post and I was working with Leo, our editor, um, I realized that actually some of the script wasn't quite working. So we kind of had to rewrite the script a little bit in post. And mm-hmm. and my editing skills really came into play then, yeah. you know, because I'm, I've made a lot of, you know, corporate documentaries and corporate feature length documentaries and things like that. So. So I have really very strong honed editing skills from mm. that sort of discipline. Yeah, um, being able to take a bit from there and move that there, and if we shifted that around, exactly. Yeah. I think it's vital as a director to understand editing. Yeah, and the same as DPs, Andy, you can edit. I think it's vital. It's so important. Yeah, absolutely. in fact, you could do that, and you're thinking about the edit as you shoot, going, okay, well, like, if if I don't get that pickup, I won't be able. This won't cut right, or if I don't get yeah. the wide here. Did you did you do any reshoots at all? We did one little pickup shoot mm-hmm. that was four hours long. No, in fact, it wasn't even four hours long. I think it was two hours long. The, the speed that you work, you probably <laughs> you're like, we'll need four hours. No, I did it in two. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll tell you something else we did, which which really saved our ass. Which I I bought some stock footage. Yeah. Now yeah. I I mean, like ten years ago, that wouldn't have been possible. It's true, but I think it's 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 really saved our ass on this film. Right. What you did know? you get? What was it specific? Well, like uh, like we needed a shot of the moon, there so I, yeah. I just I just bought a stock footage shot of the moon. You totally. know, because it would have been it would have taken me months to get that and shot. and get a decent shot of the you moon. Know. It's not easy to get a no. shot of the moon. Um, and we found this beautiful stock shot. You know, yeah, yeah. So I mean, that really really helped. Um, you know, and and there are you know there are other stock shots in the film. Um, I think there's nothing yeah. wrong with that. People sort of have this. Oh, it's not your your stock shot. I I don't care. Yeah. Is, you know what I mean? <laughs> I don't. I mean, yeah. yeah there's yeah. a bit of me that, but as long as it looks like yeah, your no, film, no, it's, it's some things it's not. There's a shot in the day that isn't us. There's, there's, there's two. <gasps> no, there is one. There's just one. There's just one. Yeah, sometimes there's a drone shot, and we. There wasn't time to get a drone yeah, shot, but there was a yeah. beautiful drone shot already shot on the similar Alexa area, of yeah. the, you know, in the similar. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. why the hell not? Mm. Yeah. I'm but, all for that. So now you've got your finished film, and you're looking at it, and you're thinking, "Is this good enough?" And the point you must have gone, even when you were shooting it, you must have gone, "Yeah, this is. I can feel it. This is good, right?" Or did you not know? Well, I mean, 
Tracy Ann Wood is such an amazingly good actress yeah. that I don't think there was any doubt at any point that we were going to have something. You know, I mean, like, and my contingency plan in my head was always, well, if it doesn't work as a feature, maybe it'll work as a short, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. You know, and, and I wouldn't have begrudged nine days of shooting to come out with a 20-minute short. That, that wouldn't have been a, a downside to me. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I mean, she's such a magnificent actress that, that I knew we would have something. Um, but as I said, you know, when, when we saw the full first assembly, I realized the story wasn't quite working the way I wanted. Yeah. So we had to rewrite the script. We had to shoot a little bit of pickup. Um, we had to shoot a bit more ADR to help with some story points mm -hmm. and stuff. But then the most important thing I did was I, I held test screenings. Um, yeah. and, and we ended up doing three test screenings mm -hmm. um, with just random punters off the street and, you know, doing the whole questionnaire thing and the tick list. So how did you, did you hire a cinema? How did you do that? No, it was, it was very, very informal. I mean, we literally sure. just, you know, it was a lecture theatre with a, with a projector and, you know, just played it off a laptop and, mm -hmm. you know, and, and gave people the questionnaires and, and gave them a, gave them a little bit of food, you know, just to keep them happy and, and just got the points back from them. And, and we, you know, there was some wonderful feedback from that that really helped um yeah. really helped us develop this the story um and and what i really loved about those test screenings was that the first test screening we did the score for the film was kind of like 6.5 or something still decent still all right still all right but i mean but by the end test screening it was much closer to eight it was like 7.8 or you know wow. 7.5 that sort of thing so so i was much much happier that we had developed the film in the right direction yeah you know and and also another thing that that i really like about those test screenings is that on the questionnaire it sort of says what are your favorite bits mm. and that's a really useful question to ask people because when you read those, you think, oh, well, that bit needs to be in the trailer yes, because yes, that will really work. If they like that bit, then we should put that in the trailer, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, and that really helped us to, to cut the trailer. You know? I think it's vital that in the budget, when you're making any kind of film, whether it's micro budget, no budget or big budget, is that there's money for a pickup day, at least one, mm. and for um, test screenings. Because it changes your film. There's no point hanging on to it and saying, oh, we're going to be amazing. This is going to be brilliant. As soon as we release it to the world, everyone will realise how great we are. No, no, give give that opportunity to make it better before it's too late. Yeah. So once it's out there, it's too late. Yeah. It's too late. So now you've made your film, which is amazing anyway. How did you go from there to getting it to the top of the charts uh, for six weeks? Basically, uh, how did you sell it? What was your process? Well, I mean, yeah, I went to Cannes a number of times and I talked to distributors and sales agents and, um, you know, 99 out of 100 aren't interested in no-budget films mm -hmm. and who blames them, you know, there's, sure. there's no money in it. So, um, um, but when I did finally decide on the uh, distributor that I wanted to go with, I pitched it to them and they got back to me, you know, within a couple of hours and said, yeah, we love your film, we, we want to we wanna take it. And know? who is that? It's a company called Indie Rights who are based in LA. Mm -hmm. They specialize in no-budget and ultra-low-budget sort of f films. Um, and they've got us on pretty much every platform you can think of, you know. And, and um, yeah, we were on, we're on Prime US, which is our main territory, and Prime UK. We're on iTunes. We're on uh, um, Google Play, Microsoft Store. We're on uh, Tubi TV, I think, is coming mm -hmm. up soon. Um, we're on... Um, 
there are other AVOD, you know, advertising VOD mm-hmm. um, platforms. Um, yeah, uh, Roku. There's a Roku channel we're on as well. You know, so they've got us everywhere, basically. And how did they do that? How does it work then in your mind? Did they tell you what they were going to do with this film? Did they advertise it? How does it work? Well, they, they I mean, it's a no-budget film, so they're, they're not going to risk any money of course um sure pushing it but they get it onto platforms for you so basically we've got we've got it in french and spanish so it's in all the french and spanish speaking territories which so. is amazing achievement right yeah. i mean did you ever think it would go this far no of course not of course not i mean like everything this film has achieved has been beyond my wildest dreams pretty mm. much you know i mean like you know when we were shooting it i thought you know like i said you know i thought well you know we're getting some good performances we've we've at least got a good short film here you know and then we ended up with a full feature which ended up having a west end premiere you know which mm-hmm. was extraordinary mm-hmm. and then you know then it was number 1 on prime uk for 6 weeks which is extraordinary you know mm-hmm. peaking at number 7 on prime us you know i mean just extraordinary and now we've got this national film awards nomination as well <laughs> it's amazing it's amazing do you think there was anything Behind the uh, the six weeks in the UK, just obviously we're UK based. Was there anything? Was there a major push you were doing as well at the time? Did you do anything to get the film out there? Well, I mean, I I do a lot of social media. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of social media, and I've studied internet marketing okay. a lot nice. because I knew it was essential that I understood that. Because like. Um, like you do a skills audit and you think, well, what do I know? Well, I, you know, I know how to direct actors. I, I know how to edit a film, but I don't know how to sell a film. I need mm-hmm. to learn how to sell a film, you know. So, so I studied a lot of internet marketing gurus um, and, you know, learned a few techniques on launching products and things like that. And I've tried to apply those ideas. I mean, it's not nearly as successful as I wanted it to be, but it has been successful, you know. What were so, those ideas? What did you do that you felt you took the best things from those gurus? Well, it's kind of like um, you've got to build excitement and expectation and anticipation. And um, you do that by sort of trickling out information in the build up to the release date you know and um and you 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 try to create reasons for people to engage with your film you know what's in it for them you know what uh, you're always thinking about you know what does the audience want to see from this film you know um i think a lot of sort of no budget indie filmmakers obsess on a film de moi you know and and they sort of like say this is my film this is my film look at my film look at my film I didn't do any of that. None of my marketing or, or advertising or anything mentions any names whatsoever. It's just the name of the film. The film is the star. The brand is the film. The, you know, the film is the brand. The, the, the name of the film is the only thing I've ever talked about. So, so in the trailer, it's just, you know, here are the essential story points. Here's the name of the film. You know, in every um, uh, behind-the-scenes video, it's always been about, you know, why is the film so exciting? Or, you know, look at what we're doing about the film. It's never been about, look at me, look at me, look at me. Mm. It's always been about, look what you'll get when you see this film, you know. So I've always thought about it in terms of what is the benefit to the audience in terms of enjoying the film, you Mm. know. And I think that's really helped to engage an audience, you know. I mean, we've... We built up our Twitter following, you know, right from the first day of shooting. We've, you know, b- been building our Facebook presence. We've got an Instagram profile, you know. So it's all been social media, basically. Wow. And do you, uh, obviously you've got your blog as well, so you're pushing on there too. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah, that's fascinating. I think that's really interesting. Obviously, these gurus are saying don't. Were they saying don't push names of the people who were in it or yourself? And it was about the product itself. I find that really interesting because a lot of films don't do that, and I think that's quite well. Interesting. I mean, I mean, I I thought about it from my point of view. You know, when I'm when I'm scrolling through Facebook, mm-hmm. you know, you see a lot of indie filmmakers saying, "Look at me, I've directed this film," sure. and they never tell you anything about the film. You know, they just say, "Look at me, I've made this film," and and that doesn't work for me right. as an audience member. It doesn't make me want to watch that film, you know. Mm. Whereas being told, you know, here's the story hook. Now that makes me interested. You know, mm. if it's a if it's a story hook that that chimes with me, then I definitely want to see that film. You know, and so I just thought about it from that point of view. You know, if I'm a random punter, I want to know what the story hook is. You know, because because that's what's going to make me interested. Not not the fact that this is the debut feature of someone who's been making films, you know, in their backyard or something. That doesn't that doesn't sell it to me. It's true because loads know? of people do that. Yeah, You're right. And it doesn't sell it to me. That's, that's fascinating. That's really interesting. Very insightful. I love it. Um, okay, can you give any advice to someone else out there now who goes, "I'm inspired by Brian. I'm inspired by this. I want to go make my own no budget, micro budget indie film." How? What's the best bit of advice you could give someone? Um, well, I'll start with a caveat. Mm-hmm. Making a feature film is the very hardest thing I have ever done in my life. I mean, it is it is unbelievably hard, yeah. unbelievably hard. Having said that, you can make it so much easier for yourself if you make your Rodriguez list. Draw up your list of, you know, I have this location, I know these actors, I know this writer, I know this cameraman, that's my team. You know, that mm. those are my elements, this is, this is the film I'm going to make. How can I concoct a story that uses those bits, you know? Don't, don't think in terms of, you know, writing a script set in the Houses of Parliament, because you'll never get the Houses of Parliament. But if you've got the garden shed, then your story is set in that garden shed, you know? And, and work out, well, what's the story I could tell using the garden shed that I've got, you know? Don't think in terms of what I need to get. Think in terms of what you already have. That would mm-hmm. be my, like my number one tip. Um, and I suppose the other tip is always think about the film, your film, from your audience's point of view. You know, what's in it for them? How are you going to entertain that audience? It's not about you making your film. It's about you making people interested in your film. You've got to think more in terms of those, those kind of ideas. Great advice. I like that. Very good, Brian. What's um, what's next for you? What's the plan now? Um, well, I've got a, a new script from Roger Thomas, mm-hmm. who's uh, the writer of The Redeeming. Yes. Um, I literally just finished reading it on the train on the way up here, yeah. and um, it's a very strong script. Yeah, you seem very pleased when you came through the door and uh, yeah. stroking my dog Riley. And we're literally like, yeah, I've just read, read the script and I'm very excited. That's yeah, great I news. I am, yeah. I'm yeah. Very, very pleased with it. Are you going to do a similar budgeted type film, I, or I, are you aiming... Yeah, I think so. Higher? I mean, I mean, like... Um, like going back to what I was saying earlier about the magic producing fairy. You yeah. Know? I Do mean, they like, exist? They don't exist. And you've had a, a number one hit you yeah. know, film for uh, six weeks. Yeah. And yet there is no producing fairy no, coming down. No, and there's doing no, that. no, no, nobody. So I've got to, I've got to think in terms of making another film like the redeeming basically. Mm-hmm. So that's, okay. that's the plan at the moment. Yeah. Great. Brian, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you so much. Where can people follow you online on the socials? Um, well, I'm on Twitter as at Osmium 10. Facebook wise, is it redeeming as well on Twitter? Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, the redeeming.com is our main website for the film, and mm-hmm. you can find all our social links from there. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, and all, all the viewing links are on, on the website as well. Yeah. 
But you can go pick this up now at iTunes, at all the various places. The Redeeming is available. Go watch it. This is how to make a no-budget movie. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and something else we have on, on the Redeeming website, right at the bottom of the page, um, we actually, we've actually done a, an indie filmmaker's educational pack to mm. go with the film, um, which is basically all our paperwork, lots of behind-the-scenes commentaries and things like that on how to make a no-budget feature. Um, so, yeah, you can, you can get that there if you want. Vital information for you there. Go there now and just get that. That's great. But do Brian a favour. If you do that, then at least review his film, retweet his links, because that's only fair. Um, uh, Andy, where can people follow you? Uh, I'm uh, at 35mm DOP on Instagram and www.fullstop35mmdop.co. Um, right, and you can follow us at Filmmakers Pod. You can follow me at Giles Alderson or at The Dare Movie or at Food for Thought Doc. Um, do it. Uh, Kickstarter is happening very soon, literally just over two weeks away for that. Exciting news, Brian. Again, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate thank it. You. Thank, thank you. Thank you. It's been, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, it has. As always, I, I love doing this type of thing. And it's amazing our journeys as well, that how we met so long ago and now we're making features. I think it's great. I think it's really nice. There's but, quite a few of us actually from that yes. group. Uh, yeah, we're doing stuff. Yeah, now. but you're you're just about to do this King Arthur thing. I am just about to do King Arthur. Yeah, I'm seven weeks away from shooting. Wow, goodness me! And you still found time to do a podcast. I'm glad you said that. <laughs> yes, uh, our lovely listeners. Yes, no. It, I think it's important to keep putting it out. And CJ is going to help. Christian James is going to. I think he's going to do a couple while I'm shooting. But I don't know. It's hard to. You know, I just want to keep. You know, giving. I'm a giving person. You're a giver, Giles. It's true. <laughs> Uh, brilliant so basically remember why you're doing it if you're doing it for love don't get too stressed if you're doing it because you want to earn money don't get too stressed filmmaking although ridiculously hard is a blessing and it is very hard isn't it Brian it is unbelievably hard yeah it might be one of the hardest things you ever do but when you do it it is amazing it is amazing right the joys you get from it oh indeed yeah there's nothing better than screening your film and then having someone come up to you after the screening and saying that that film touched them in some way that mm-hmm. that is you you there's nothing like that in yeah. in the world it's just a, an incredible experience it really is there you go so if you haven't made your film yet do it you've got no excuses if brian can do it you can do it um okay remember get your screenings and fundraisers raises to us if you've got a kickstarter campaign you want to shout it out about let us know get in contact uh and tell us all that and being prepared is everything you can make your indie film but know who your audience is and get out there and do it if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well it's your duty to send that elevator back down until next time we will see you next tuesday goodbye andy goodbye giles Uh, goodbye from giles goodbye and goodbye from brian goodbye Take care, everyone. Good luck. Bye-bye. This was a podcast from the Podfix Network. You can check out more shows like it at podfixnetwork.com.